Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Today's guest has represented the England rugby team a whopping 51 times, but now he swapped the breakdown for the breakaway, as his love for cycling has seen him win Category A Zwift races, as well as spending plenty of quality time with his family on two wheels. I'm talking, of course, about Austin Healy, but then you already knew that because it's written on the screen of whatever device you're using to listen to this. Anyway, let's get on with the pod. Hello and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevenson unplugged by Sinus Austin Healy is a captivating character, the kind of person who thrives on proving himself time and time again, whether that's coming back to international rugby from very serious injury or engaging in new pursuits like cycling. In our chat, we discussed everything from growing up with the freedom to explore, to pushing yourself too hard in Zwift races, and how sports people are often motivated by a weird sort of self-loathing. If you like your cardigans, Austin's a bit of an expert. Welcome to the 70s. Check it out. Well, Austin, um, we're finally on. We we did uh, well. Thanks very much. For, first and foremost, for overcoming those um, almost insurmountable technical difficulties and joining us on the podcast, mate. It's good to have you. Yeah, thanks very much. I, at one stage, I didn't think it was I was going to make it. I felt like Biden trying to get into the White House. <laughs> the, uh, the the door was locked. There was a guy with a massive haircut stood behind it, and he just wouldn't let me in. It was some kind of like tech de- uh, devil. Blimey. I mean, and I and actually, uh, I have got a massive haircut at the moment as well, Austin. It's um, it's proper lockdown hair, which is taking over. And and if you met me for the first time, you would indeed be alarmed, especially with the kind of sh- the kind of shadow that it cast. Blimey. And, and it was. Yeah, and I think I think I've seen a video of you somewhere, or I think you were doing a some kind of uh, review of a bike or something and you looked a little bit like Duncan Weir who's just been playing for Scotland I don't know if you've noticed his haircut but oh right okay he he looks a little bit like George out of Rainbow if you've got that much hair (laughs) brilliant oh god I I do love it when I don't love it when we get tech issues but it's really you find out about a lot about people don't you because and and how kind of although I wouldn't call myself super tech savvy but you emailed me then I emailed you back we're emailing about getting online. It was, it was and then I then I, te- I texted you my phone number as well if you wanted to call me. I love it. I, oh, anyway, we're on, mate. We're on, and it's great. It's great to have you. Yeah, you um, wouldn't think it, would you? I, I, I own a tech business, and uh, <laughs> I, realistically, I should be able to at least send an email or pick up a phone. But uh, yeah, well, there you go. Learn everything every day. Indeed, mate. Well, here we are chatting, and it's good to have you on. We, we, we rescheduled a bit. It's been it's been a busy time, mate. But uh, first and foremost, uh, Austin, how are you, mate? And how you been? How you been dealing with lockdowns? Everything good? Are you feeling well? It's been the longest, shortest year of my life, I think, mm. in terms yeah. of if that makes sense. It seems to have gone so fast, but when you're living it day by day, it goes so slow. Yeah, I think it's probably because you don't actually create any memories in this year in 2020. You just Everything just seems the same, but it's, uh, I can't believe it's nearly Christmas. And back in March, we were, you know, all, all locked down, which uh, strangely as a family, we particularly enjoyed uh, that we, it brought us very close, well, even more close as a family. And we got out cycling an awful lot, but particularly me and my wife. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that was great. We, we ended up, well, I say it was great. It was slow, but it was, it was great. So, I mean, when um, speak, I've been, we we set up this podcast um, just after lockdown happened because obviously we couldn't get out and about and make any more video content. Obviously, a lot of people are in a similar position, and and I think myself personally in relation to lockdown, I've yeah, although it's been grim in many many ways, it's also been you know it's it's been a reminder about the kind of sim- how kind of beautiful in life the simple things are without being overly kind of sentimental about it just getting out for a walk with your family or or your mates if you if you can or a bit of a bike ride you kind of see the world in a slightly different way don't you yeah no i, I agree with that i think we we were going out we were so lucky that we we live in the countryside we live in rutland mm. and uh, the weather was fantastic through april and may so most evenings we go out with the dogs uh, for an evening walk and uh, as a family and, and actually the children would want to come well, you ask them now or you might, they might come now but it's unlikely because of the weather but the, the, in, in normal scenario when the, the sun's shining there's not a hope in hell they're going to come out walking the dogs with you 
So uh, it, it was quite nice. I was able to throw sticks and stones at them and, uh, you know, improve their agility. Good stuff. <laughs> sticks and stones, I like it. I mean, you said you're, I know you're in Rutland and you're not too far away from our, our brand new Sigma Sports store, are you? Um, yeah, around the corner. Yeah, so Oakham's uh, one and a half miles away. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's actually where the store is, is right by the start of a, a horrendous hill. Called, right. Ridling, called Ridlington Hill, okay. which gets up to about, I think, 16 or 17%. So it's pretty steep and it goes on for a while. Uh, but that's that. you pretty much go past the store to get out on that route. For, for oh, anyone, right. it's, the, okay. it's the only road out. So, uh, yeah, it's great. The store looks fantastic. I've been past it. I haven't been in it yet because of lockdown. Yeah, uh, I, well, I have actually, I have actually been in it. But they said, "Are you here for click and collect?" I said, "No, I just wanted to look around." They went, "You can't look around." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's you can you, you kind of know they're doing their job when when a Sigma Sports ambassador isn't allowed into the shop itself. That's actually quite interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, but no, I, I was supposed to do. Um, 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 and I a bit of a ride on an e-bike. Hopefully we'll be doing that video soon and actually come up to see the store, but obviously because of the current situation. So I haven't, I haven't even been up, but I do know the Rutland area pretty well. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you if you kind of into... Actually, that's the one question I will ask you now. I mean, how did you... And we'll look back on the other things you've done in your life, of course, but while we're talking about biking, I mean, how did you actually get into cycling? How did you find your way into kind of riding? Because you are... Very, very, you're still really competitive, aren't you? I think probably more competitive than my body or brain allows me <laughs> to deliver on, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, an old friend of mine, Phil Smith, who used to be the, the boss of Cisco, uh, he created uh, something on behalf of Comet Relief to raise money and sport relief. And uh, it was a triathlon with a bunch of other business people uh, yeah. doing a lot of things together. And uh, I'd just been to Zambia with um, Comet Relief doing a, a, a bit of a film. And uh, he started this and I, I, I'd retired and I'd done a little bit, some bobs, but I wasn't really that fit. I was quite fat. Uh, and so we did a triathlon at Blenheim. And uh, I, I didn't want to, I, I just had this image in my mind of a, a big roly-poly ex-rugby player trying to get around a, uh, a triathlon course. And I thought, <laughs> right. that's not going to happen. So... I started immediately went to the best bike you can get, the best wetsuit and swimming, and the best pair of trainers at the time you could find. Right, and then uh, and then start. I couldn't swim, which didn't help. Right, so started swimming on New Year's Day, uh, one length, then two lengths, then four, then put the wetsuit on to get past four lengths because I was sinking. I was my, my <laughs> legs were so heavy. Right, uh, and then started cycling every day, and, and particularly liked the the challenge, not necessarily of uh, of how hard it was going up hills, but sometimes how hard it was cycling into the wind or into the rain or uh, out in the sunshine. And it, it was just, it was a great escape, really. And uh, and it all started from there. And that, that was back in, when was that, about 2009, maybe, maybe earlier. Wow. So, so basically it was, and then uh, how, actually, how did the triathlon actually go? I mean, how long did you need to train for before you got to a point where you thought, actually, I'm going to, Okay, I'm going to be able. To, I'm not going to make a fool of myself here. So, how long? How long a build up did you give yourself? Uh, six months. So, got oh, to right, July. So proper build up, right? Okay. Yeah, and uh, I, I had really obviously some old issues. So, I've got no tendons or cartilage in my left knee. Right. Um, okay. And I've got back issues, and I did have sciatica. But it's all gone now, which is good. Just my knee. So, I couldn't really run that well. Which, strangely, you'd think as a rugby player that the running would be easy. So, yeah. I, I got out out of the swim. I think third. Uh, I got off the bike, I think, in about fourth or fifth, and I finished something like 20th. I did 55 minutes or something for the sprint. Wow. It, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't bad. That's yeah, but I, I, tore, I, tore my, I tore my calf in the run. Oh, God. So that, that, that mental thought of people watching an extra rugby player run around, I was hobbling. And I, I remember someone shouting at me, come on, Austin, you can go faster than that. And I did contemplate jumping over the hoardings and filling him in at that stage. <laughs> uh, but it was just, you know, you have this mental image of, I don't want to be in this scenario where people are laughing at me. Yeah. Uh, and then people were laughing at me, but I was really, really fit when I did it. I just tore my calf on the run Bloody or a sciatic hell. tear. Um, so, yeah, I, I was inside. I used that anger to get to the line. Bloody hell. I mean, 
and that obviously looking back apart from the injury when you when you look back on that you obviously pulled you must have enjoyed the cycling element because obviously you're still riding now and, and again just look just scrolling through your social media i've been stalking you a little bit if that if you don't mind um you know cycling has become a pretty big part of your life really or in terms of your leisure activities you know or if you can call them leisure activities looking at the state of some of your selfies mate over the last couple of months it's been horrendous looking through your feed yeah thanks that's a really nice way of putting it i mean it's either it's either me at a rugby match or uh me cycling or eating food so it's one of the, and that is pretty much my or, or my family are on there so those right. four things they're the only real things that i put on there uh you know the, there's some other bits and bobs that we, we like to go up to which definitely stay off there yes uh, whereas my daughter made me do my first ever tiktok last night Oh my uh, god! So she had me a bet if she could do something, I had to learn her new TikTok dance, which I strangely right. enjoyed. Which not surprised when you've done Strictly, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, go, we'll get onto that a bit later. So, yeah, so yeah. The, the bike, the bike is really the only thing I can do and, and do properly now. The, the swimming, my shoulders are both shot. Uh, running, I can only do on a, uh, a weightless treadmill, which yeah. I, I try and do as much as I can. Uh, because it, it's a great freedom being able to run. And I, I, for about 10 years after retiring, I used to get really envious of seeing people going out running, whether they were jogging or speed walking. You'd, you'd watch them with envy yeah. rather than admiration. And uh, that, that's changed now. So Yeah, it's similar to myself. I mean, obviously, I've never I played a bit of footy as, as a youngster, but then obviously was a professional cyclist. But my, my dad was a, a police officer, but he played multi-sports he was into boxing played a lot of rugby uh, played football but his body just got shot to pieces and I mean you're what are you now you're a little bit younger than me 47 aren't you sort of give or take born in 73 and your body are you now kind of you're obviously you've had a, a glittering rugby career but there's a cost to that physical cost because let's be honest the game is absolutely brutal and the kind of and what it does to your body but but now and obviously looking back there's certain things you can't do but that but the fact that you because you're kind of an athlete through and through, to, to for that to actually stop straight away, psychologically is massively damaging. But to have, to be able to ride your bike is, is massively liberating and really, really important for your own kind of mental health, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think you just got to appreciate and do things that you can do. I've been out. Uh, I've not been out running, but in the last three years, you find a you find a, a middle ground. Where yeah. you, you know I, I could do shoulder weights, but then I won't be able to sleep. My shoulders will look better and they will look bigger, but I won't be able to sleep. So you've got to you got to work out what's right for you, both mentally, physically, well-being. And I'm always looking at new technologies and um, new ways of of, of gaining a, a, an advantage uh, physically, and, uh, th- and that doesn't mean competitively. It just means in a health yeah. scenario. So you know we're we're very. Uh, careful about what we eat at home uh, right. although i can't get the twins to eat anything that's got any color in it at, at all unless it's beige uh, uh, my lad has just started university i mean that and we, i do joke to him um that he doesn't eat anything with any color and um I've, i'm worried he's going to get scurvy and josh if you're listening get some fruit and veg down you mate because he's looking a bit pale but yeah i mean it's, it's weird isn't it hopefully it will change when his palate kind of changes and he kind of realizes that he, you know he might not live much longer if he just eats beige <laughs> Where, but, where's, uh, where's he gone to uni at uh is uh at manchester metropolitan oh cool yeah my, um, my eldest has just gone to exeter so and been come back from exeter so right. she's she she's just torn her ACL playing hockey in the first game for the uni, so she's been back home to the right. operation and to fix it. So now I'm back on that trail. I tore my ACL in 2003, and then right. spent a lot of time rehabbing it. But you know, in a strange way, I enjoyed the rehab. Right. Okay. And I think that that gives you an idea of the psyche of a, a cyclist. I think that they quite enjoy their build up and the pain more than the actual race or event that they end up doing. It, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, um, it, I still, I don't, I, I know, I know. Again, looking at what what you do to keep fit and look after yourself, you've you've got you've hopped on Zwift a fair bit, and you you appear to be doing racing. I mean, it's weird. I was a pro cyclist, but I don't race on Zwift. But when I do ride on Zwift, I do punish myself quite a bit. But I can't face actually doing a race. But I do yeah. hurt myself, and it's and again, the pain itself I don't particularly like. But I, I like. 
I like the warm afterglow of the training session, basically. That's and that's my kind of drug, I guess. And I think I guess that's what I, uh, I I I can't kind of live without. I guess are you kind of similar? It's that. Do you like the afterglow, or do you actually like weirdly, perversely, almost that the pain? Uh, a little bit of all of it, really. I've I've slowed down on the races. I was doing quite a lot, particularly the crits. Oh yeah, I was doing a lot of crits. I won a uh, a class A crit, I think, about Bloody two hell. weeks ago. Fair play. Um, and uh, and then I, I got into bed. It was it was probably about seven o'clock at night, and I woke up at three in the morning in a pool of sweat. I'm not I'm not I'm not exaggerated. Like literally, it was like someone walked in and chucked a bucket of water over the bed. Wow. I thought, wow, I've got to take this. This is going to be a bit more careful, you know. I was just, and I went absolutely crazy. I couldn't see at the end of the crit. Flipping uh, heck! Uh, and uh, that's, I've got an ability to push myself, but probably too hard. Lou thinks that I'm going to kill myself on that what bike downstairs. She it's, thinks that um, she thinks there's a good chance that I won't be coming back. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I mean, actually, just thinking about you know your rugby career, and you know, obviously, it's um, it's a brutally tough sport but the the kind of fitness side is, is slightly different what you kind of put is massively different to what you put your body through i mean how do you compare the two and how, when did you first find out how deep you could actually go on a push bike <laughs> because it is different isn't it it's a different kind of pain it's a different sort of uh, kind of threshold that you kind of have to push through on the rugby pitch than on a bike isn't it yeah I mean, you go from being an anaerobic athlete to an aerobic athlete, yeah, and try and, and still trying to maintain some of that power. But yeah. um, you know, strength-wise was all, always my thing. Despite being small, pound for pound, I'd say I was, you know, pretty much up there with the uh, the big guys. Yeah, you know? and, and and even not just pound for pound, but total weight as well in some exercises. So. I think the first time I ever pushed myself really deep on the bike was we used to leave our old house when I was training to go to the pool. So I'd cycle to the pool, which was about 15 miles away. Yeah. Then swim and then, and then what my wife would do is we used to set different times where she'd set off after me and I'd try and beat her there and she'd go in the car with the kids. And I remember I I could see the cut because of this hill, it was called Cuckoo Hill and it's in Stapleford. And uh, you used to climb it and you could see back down, pretty much down the route where the car was. And I was into the rain, into the wind, and I broke myself because I did, I wanted to beat the kids, just beat the kids to the pool. Right. And then I sort, <laughs> sort of realized maybe that is a step too far. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you're pushing, you know, really, really high watts to get up the hill and then trying to get your breath back on the other side. It's, um, it's, it's, it's really funny, you know, or not, not so much funny, but interesting you know how competitive you know you you could you, know, you can still be even though you've retired and I was chatting to I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Ben Foster the Watford goalie and um, oh, yeah. he, he races on Zwift and he's been winning races on Crit City I mean he's and it, he can put out 1500 watts in a sprint which is would put him up there with the best riders in the world it's i mean yeah. it's just sheer brute power that he's got and he, and he loves it again again over a few hours it would be slightly different but it is amazing how how much power he can generate and he absolutely loves it he, he's he's on um he's on zwift you know a couple of times a week racing um it, it's 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 funny isn't it <laughs> I, I suppose that the the reason why i'm pretty good on the crits is that i can do high level intervals and recover quite quickly yeah so I can push a thousand watts and then recover and then push it again and then recover and then push it again and do. I did a session yesterday. I've I've, I've gone back to this heart rate training thing. Okay. Just to try and get fit for this summer. But there's a couple of events I quite like to do. The Fred and um, there's a big ride in Spain and Portugal that I'd like to do. Oh, the Fred um, Witten. Is that the Fred Witten yeah. talking? Oh God, that's that's one of the that's got to be one of the toughest sportifs uh, randonnees in 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 the country, isn't it? Yeah, so I'm trying to drop my weight. So I've, right. in the last four days, I've lost four kilos, which my weight does that quite a lot. I can go that's, up and down really That's quite quickly. sudden. Uh, that's quite sudden, mate, that, isn't it? Yeah, but it, oh. it happens all the time. I can go to bed at like 85 kilos and wake up at 83. So uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying, just trying to move down like a couple of pounds a day each morning. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the other day I was 88.4 or something. And then today I measured myself, I was 84.6. But it's very strange. Anyway, the, uh, so yeah, I've started this heart rate thing, so I'm yeah. going to stay off the. Uh, it's uh, I don't know if you remember Eddie Fletcher, who uh, was involved with creating the Watt bike. Yes, I do. Another uh, name. I don't know the chap directly, but I know the name. Yes. Yeah. So he did some programs for me a few years ago, and all I've done is just adapted that, those programs and gone back to the heart. And I find that the best way to do it because 
it stops you from going completely mental every single time you get on the bike. And uh, yeah. I'm seeing, seeing better progress from, but that must be, the, uh, you know, obviously for you guys, when you were cycling as a pro, did you not go out every day and just have to murder yourself to be in the pack? Because if I was a pro, I'd hate not to be, you know, at the front of a race every single day. It would do my head in. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the thing, the thing with, with road racing was that, that some days there'd be a course that would suit you other days there'd be a course that, that kind of wouldn't especially in a stage race scenario so every day although you kind of suffered a lot you, you might not necessarily need to kind of win so it, it was it, each day was kind of different and each course was kind of different and obviously within a cycling team you have riders with different strengths and different uh, objectives so it's but but saying that you know you know there'll be days just to stay in the bunch yeah if you're not having a great day just to stay in the peloton you'd be on your knees and, and they're the days you don't want so you'd so the punishment is kind of relentless and then there's the, the accumulation and the build-up of fatigue as well which is which you've got to kind of factor in but but in terms of training as you're just saying you do you can't just train hard every single day you do need it's like it's, you know the principles of training you know incorporate periods of rest so your body can rebuild and get stronger and I think a lot of people forget about that especially young athletes regardless of the sport they forget that you do need to to kind of allow your body to recover especially if you're still maturing and growing you know so those periods of recovery and actually more controlled training with some really particular brutally hard sessions in um you're going to be you're going to uh, benefit far more and it sounds like you know that you're in a good place in relation to that yeah well i think the heart rate thing does help the yeah. session uh, yesterday was horrendous but um yeah i've just started to just wind it in a bit and i've hurt my ankle as well i've got a thing i've got to have fixed in my ankle but Apart from that, it'll just slow me down. I think for a couple of months, which won't be a bad thing. But you were—I saw—I saw you were—you were sponsored by Harrods, which did make me think this. Uh, this question: When we played for England, we went to Nike Town in Oxford Street. Oh yeah. And at the end, at the end of the team meeting that we had, there, they said, "Right, we close the store. You've got twenty minutes. You can take whatever you want." And most of the guys were either sponsored by Nike or not, you know. Yeah. And uh, there was an utter free-for-all. You've never seen people run as quickly as the whole England squad are running up and down those four floors in Nike town. Like super supermarket and, sweep. Yeah, pretty much. But I thought, did they ever do the same at Harrods? Because obviously you'd have a much greater opportunity in Harrods to really make a killing in 20 minutes. Yeah. But we, uh, mo- most of the lads ran to the trainer section, apart from Neil Back, who went straight upstairs to the golf. Got right. the biggest tour bag he possibly could and just filled it full of the new Nike drivers. So he walked out with about three tour bags and, say, 60 drivers. And the lads are like, well, you've got no trainers, mate. He said, yeah, but I've just walked out with 25 grand's worth of golfing equipment. Where do you think this is going? Stuck it, stuck it straight on eBay. So uh, I was wondering if, if they'd have done that in Harrods, which floor would you have gone to? What a, do you know what? What an absolutely cracking question. Nobody's really asked me a question on this before. We always have a good chat, but nobody's asked me a particular question. What would I go for? Oh, gosh. That's a really interesting one. You can't go to jewellery because that's obvious. Everyone would go and no. jewellery's closed. Yeah. Um, Furniture's too big to carry. Yeah, so you'd literally have to be able to sort of physically take it out of the store. That's yeah, what you've got to take about, it out it? that day, yeah. Do you, know, do you know what I might have done? I might have gone and got myself a really nice suit. Um, <laughs> well, uh, got, I, measured, got measured up in the 20 minutes. I might have had to, I might have had to yeah, I mean, I, I might have had to, to gone off the peg. I might have had to gone, gone to got a nice Paul Smith suit or something like that or an Armani suit. I, I don't know, really. That's a really, I think. That's that's somebody who's nearly hitting 50. I've, I've hit yeah. that patch now. I'm thinking, I might <laughs> start to... dressing like Anton Dubeck <laughs> and just wearing a suit and a tie to every occasion and well, maybe, a... maybe tone it down with a cardigan. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love, the thing is, Although I'm 50, I've loved cardigans for like two decades. I think there's such an underrated, versatile garment that says a lot about you. I think it says you're kind of happy, you know, not so much confident. There's a subtle confidence about a cardigan worn well, isn't there? But it, it, it means to me, a cardigan, when I see a cardigan on, on somebody, it says, do you know what? They're content with life. I think you've got to be thin to wear a cardigan. Uh, over the summer, this this summer, I really let myself go. Uh, basically, right. had about forty days on the trot of eating what I wanted and drinking. Right. And uh, the one uh, the one garment you can't wear is a cardigan because you see the tensile strength of the cotton within the buttons, and they're under huge stress. You but get gapage, don't you? Yeah. yeah, you don't gapage. You can't have. No, you can't have gapage. No, that that is horrendous. <laughs> 
<laughs> I the mean, amount of my clothes that got thrown away in the summer that I now wish I still had because I've lost a bit of weight again. Right, are, uh, are frightening. I mean, what? I mean, when, while we're on the subject of cardigans, what what do you favour? Do you prefer like a narrow gauge, like a cotton kind of thin weave, or do you prefer like a chunky knit with big buttons? What do you prefer? I don't. I don't I've got a bit of both. I'd say my favourite would be a, a refined cashmere, but quite okay. thin. Uh, yeah, with okay. a, a, lapel, a lapel style, right? And, oh. uh, and sometimes even a double-breasted. I I've have, seen I those. I've known to wear a double-breasted lapel, uh, fine merino one, which is quite nice. I've, I've walked through many a department store in, in Kingston and looked longingly at, at such a garment and had to and looked at the label and had to walk away. Awful. Um, this, but, is how, uh, this is how sad our marriage is. We've been married <laughs> for so long that um, all I do now is put items or tabs on my iPad and leave it. And then my oh. wife Lou will scroll through, and that's how we get our Christmas presents. That's quite a good. I might write that down. Actually, that's uh, quite quite subtle, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah unfortunately, like hers are in really expensive stores, and mine are like <laughs> Primark and stuff. Because I know that it, it, it all it all ends up in the same place. Indeed, indeed, mate. No, a, a lovely little bit of cardigan chat. I didn't realize you were such a cardigan aficionado. I mean, I mean, sticking with the uh, with kind of clothing and attire. How do you stand then on on like a jacket because I quite like a jacket with an elbow pad. Oh God, no, 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 that's horrendous. <laughs> what? Oh no, why? It just reminds me of Mister McConnell who told me I'd never make anything in my life when I left sixth form. Uh, uh, to be fair, he was without sport; he would have been pretty correct. <laughs> um, but, and he had these. He had one jacket, and it was a, like a brown uh, multi-tweed, but he had patches on. Right. Mr. McCabe, he was another teacher of mine who also had patches on it. You know, because of my inherent hatred for all of my teachers, uh, I think that I've associated elbow patches and blazers to uh, being akin to the devil. Oh, God. So if we ever meet up uh, up at your neck of the woods for a pint um, after we've been to Sigma, I, I'll, I'll wear a jacket without elbow pads. Otherwise, I might get a punch in the face or you might just leave. Uh, I, won't, I won't punch <laughs> you in the face. I'll just rip the pads off because they're not supposed to be there. <laughs> Somebody did say that I was rocking a geography teacher vibe, and I did get. Do you know what? I got a lovely secondhand vintage shooting shooting jacket with elbow pads, and it also had like a corduroy pad on the right shoulder to put the butt of the gun. And I didn't realise. Somebody said that's a hunting jacket. I didn't even know. Yeah, no. The uh, there's there's a good shop actually in Oakham that sells a lot of uh, hunting gear. Right, shooting gear. It's just around the corner, and uh, uh, from the shop. Uh, called Cavell's and uh, my wife there's a there's a there's a little coffee place in there called Fika okay which has to be the worst invention in my entire life putting that little coffee shop there right next to Cavell's means that uh, there's only really one way in and one way out and that means right. dresses coats <laughs> shoes and all sorts of other bits and bobs so okay. yeah Again, it's that, that. Again, I think. I mean, I, I, I'm not a person who actually minds shopping, but I've I've got a little bit of a. When I look back to to my kind of upbringing, uh, I can just remember being dragged around the high streets with my mum in the 1970s into shops like Freeman Hardy Willis and stuff like that, and CNAs, and actually CNA. Yeah. Do you remember CNAs? I mean, I, I, I've, I mean, I'm going to ask you a little question in a moment, but um, uh, about the 1970s, we were both brought up in the 70s, but um. Yeah, I, I've got a bit of a problem with, with, with shopping, and it is the memory of just being dragged around. I mean, literally, almost, I, I'd kind of stop walking, but my mum would still physically drag me through the shops. Um, do, you, do you remember any of those sorts of memories? I suppose, no, my mum didn't really drag me around the shops. Because uh, I, I, I was playing so much sport, really. You know, right. from the, like, the age of eight, I'd be, right, okay. every single day, I'd be out playing sport, running around, whether it was... My dad uh, had a big asthma attack when I was, I think, seven. And so the doctor said, you've got to strengthen his lungs. So my dad used to get up wow. before work and we started walking around the block and then next day, twice around the block. And by a month, we were having, you know, a five mile road race at the age of 10. Wow. So, yeah, so we were, and I, you know, I, I put a lot of that down to my, uh, the engine, that physical engine that, that was developed at the, in those years. So. I didn't really, if it was a Saturday, I was either playing rugby or playing football or I was doing yeah. the scoreboard at Birkenhead Park or unless, you know, 10, 11, 12, because you were allowed to go out when you were 10, when we I were know. kids. I know. You know, the freedom that has been deprived of our children in, in the last two decades has been frightening. But the, uh, you, know, you know, I used to be able to walk probably at the age of 10. Well, I think you got like a new stage, didn't you? You could cross the road at your house. We lived in a, right. in, a, in a terrace street. 
You could cross the road when you were 10. You could go around the corner when you were 11. By the age of 12, you could pretty much go to Bermuda. <laughs> it was th- things just change so quickly. So like one day you can cross the road. A week later, you, you're drawing down your YTS. I, I, honestly, I mean, uh, you do, I do look back, and when I was bringing in, you know, in the early days of, of my son growing up, I and in the job I was doing in, in as, as a police officer at the time, and I, I became I didn't want to be somebody who didn't who I wanted my lad to be able to get out there and kind of do what he wanted, but it was just like. I was part of the problem and I said, oh, I didn't really want to let him out on his own. And, and it, it wasn't until he was like 13, kind of 12, 13 that he'd probably go out on his own. And then my, my wife would worry that he was, what was he doing down the shops and stuff. But then I think back to my upbringing and I remember being taking my sister to school. I was about eight. She would have been six. And my mum used to go to work. My dad was all was working nights, so he'd be at work already. And she'd leave us outside Used to have a block. Of, we used to live in a block of flats in Finchley, in North London. Um, she gave us an alarm clock that she'd leave in the hall, and she'd said, "I'm off to work now at eight. She said, "Wait in the flats outside the house till half eight, and then walk your sister to school." I was eight, and it was a mile and a half walk, and that was completely God. normal, hand in hand. And this was like obviously 1978. That would have been 77, 78. Um, but yes, yeah, so much freedom. Just used to leave a little. When I used to like go go out on a Saturday or something on a weekend, I'd leave the house at like eight or nine o'clock, leave a little note in the kitchen where let's have a little whiteboard or a chalkboard back at six. And I used to take 10 P with me for the, for, for a phone if I needed to ring home. And that was it gone all day. <laughs> Great memories. My, 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 my main memories of the seventies, I've probably only got three or four, but we're all, we lived in a house in Shamrock road. And I remember, I remember being in the dining room when John Lennon got shot. I remember right. that day. Okay. Uh, I remember when my mum hit me across the head on Christmas Day with a wooden spoon because I was flicking food at my sister. Blimey. Uh, and I remember when my mum pushed me through a plate glass door on my bike when I was about six because I was doing wheelies in the kitchen on the piano. <laughs> uh, Brilliant. And then what was the last one I was going to say? I remember when my dad had, my dad was self-employed and you could tell what sort of year he'd had on Christmas Day. Right. And, ah, uh, of course, you know, yeah. He, You'd come down one year and literally you got a, you know, an orange. And I came down one year and I got a water ski and a snooker table. And I just remember jumping up and down on the spot with the light. Yeah, he'd obviously he'd obviously done a fair bit of tiling that year. He'd done well. Brilliant. So I, I got a, a snooker table one year, but it wasn't a snooker table with legs. It actually was a snooker table that you put on top of another table. But I was so – I used to love it because snooker was massive then, wasn't it, in the 80s? Yeah. Early – I mean, I used to – as well as, I mean, I did a lot of sports as a kid as well, but bloody loved snooker. And to have my own miniature snooker table on the, the sat on top of the dining table, that was big. That was that was big for me to love a bit of snooker. Yeah, seventies. Did they just feel a bit dark now? When I look yeah, back? they're very brown. Great, very, very. Yeah, yeah I, I look back at the seventies, and there's a color associated with it because my mum was. I think, and when you look back at photos and stuff, and album covers and things, uh, to me, I mean, to you it was grey, but to me it was brown and caramelly <laughs> dimly lit <laughs> Dim, the dimly lit that, decade there's a very nice caramel uh cashmere cardigan on marks and spencers currently which is on one of my tabs in case my wife is listening to oh it. can you send me the link <laughs> it's I like just it. cashmere cashmere caramel uh, cardigan i think it'll come straight up on mns's webpage uh, do you know what i mean i worked at mns back in the 19 in the late 80s and the, and through the 90s for a bit worked at marks and spencers great years halcyon days you know could talk that's a i think that's a separate podcast let's not go too far off the beaten track but um <laughs> yeah i used to um i worked in a various few departments i worked um ladies lingerie for for a week then i was moved on very very quickly on to straight on to sliced ham and cream cakes um, and then I then I, I ran the wedding list and furniture ordering, um, and uh, I used to do uh, made to measure pelmets and curtains. And not far from where you were from, actually, I used to work in Chester, and that's when I was yeah. made head of head of furniture ordering, but uh, up in Chester, a lovely part of the world, actually, very fond memories from up there. But uh, actually, but we're going to move on in a moment, um, Austin. But if you could take three things from the nineteen seventies and have them now, what would they be? Well, my mum would be one. Right. Okay. Uh, great. She's not here anymore, so she'd definitely be one. Uh, what else would I take? I'd take Alpine Pop. It used to come down your road on a Saturday morning. Right. The Pop Al- Wagon. The Pop Wagon. We never had a Pop Wagon. God, I feel a bit envious now. Yes, yeah, so we had a Pop Wagon. Dandelion and Burdock. I'd probably take that. Uh, what else from the 70s would I take? I'd take, I'd take Kids Freedom. 
just playing until right. outside, kicking the ball against the wall, waiting for your mates to come out. They didn't come out, you'd stay out until yeah. your mum shouted dinner. And then yeah. after dinner, you'd say, can I go back out? And she'd say, until it's dark. And then you'd God, stay out yeah. Time. yeah, especially in the summer, it was great, wasn't it? I mean, like playing football in the road. That was a thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Football the in road the road. At the top, we, we lived on a hill, but the road at the top was flat. Right. And, um, <laughs> I remember, if I could take one other thing, one winter, it was a really cold winter, and this huge ice patch developed and stayed there for about a week, maybe. Right. And you could run along it and literally slide for 50 metres. It was one of the happiest moments of my entire life, that sliding. Great. And seeing your mates fall over and hit the curb and break the legs, it was brilliant. I mean, yeah, I mean, there was a lot, there were a lot of kind of, health and safety wasn't even a concept then, was it? We just, we just, (laughs) if you're injured, it was your own stupid fault and you just move on uh, and have your leg in a plast, which your mates would sign at school. I mean, that that was it, wasn't it? It was, uh, they they were good days. I mean, yeah, they were good days. (laughs) (laughs) Now, back in 2009, you hosted a game show, didn't you? Called the called the the fuse. Yeah, I put the fuse out. Um, <laughs> what was it yeah, like? I mean, what was it? Like, what was it like being a game show host coming from being a rugby player? Very, very strange. I think. <laughs> I mean, I'd had no TV experience, and then it was it was the fuse versus the chase to see which right. was going to be the new game show. Okay. Uh, the chase has subsequently done three thousand, three and a half thousand episodes, and. Uh, Bradley Walsh has become a household name. I did uh, I did thirty episodes and put the fuse out. So it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was. I'm trying to remember what the opening gambit was. It was well, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, actually. It's a little bit meta. Now, I've got a bit of a, my own quiz, which I'm going to do after this particular section. I don't know if anybody warned you that there's okay. going to be a quiz. It's called Guess That Snack. But um, okay. I'm going to do a quiz quiz. I'm going to ask you. So the opening gambit, I believe, from, from the, re- the little bit of research I've carried out, um, was called Six in a Row. Okay. Six in a Row, yeah. And you had a board with 12 categories on. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to set set the clock up in a minute. Um, hopefully, we might get some special effects on in the background if if uh, Niall's on it. But um, I'm just going to set my little clock up now, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of a of a head start here. Can you name me in a few moments' time the twelve categories that the the contestants had to pick from? Can you remember? So I'm going to start the stop, stopwatch in. 10 seconds okay so i need you within the next 30 seconds austin to name me the 12 categories that people would have to pick from from six in a row are you ready no i'm not ready you, you I'm, I'm gonna start the clock anyway um, um here we go three two one I'll, I'll, I'll give you a start off natural world hopefully that will lead you in to the other categories oh my god natural world uh sport politics uh, money, um, biology or humans. Okay. Uh, history. Okay. Uh, I'm basically just picking trivial pursuit. Uh, <laughs> you got five seconds. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Kings and queens. Kings and queens. Okay, that um, that's that's quite random. But let's see if that's that's on the board. Okay, sport, money, politics, humans, or hu- humankind, history, kings and queens. They actually were natural world, famous people, pop music, sport, books, science and technology, television, history. I suppose kings and queens, um, food, drink, travel, words and numbers. All right. Can you? Can you? Oh, it's a long time ago. It's yeah, fifteen yeah, years sort of, ago. Yeah, I've sort of blocked. I've blocked it out my mind. Um, <laughs> you blocked it out your mind. Brilliant. So uh, it was. Uh, I remember. So do you want? I went to the screen test and I thought, "There's no way they'll give me this." Yeah. And uh, then uh, they phoned me up and said, "We'd like you to do it." I was like, "Really?" Uh, and then first day, you, you filmed three shows in one day. Yeah. It was. Uh, it, it was quite full on. And uh, I, I think I just got a little bit too um, acidic through it. I think my, uh, you know, people would come up and they get a question wrong, and I'd literally call them a dickhead. Oh, and it, right. It, it would just get edited out. So now you get that wrong, you dickhead. <laughs> and I, normally, that that was by the third show in the day. I didn't have that ability to independently evaluate each one of the shows. Right. You kind of you weren't, yeah, because um, you, you see. Yeah, you, you you were known as the Lester Lip, so you were giving him a bit of Lester Lip, weren't you? Um, I was, was I was never known that that came out of some press guy. 
did it? I mean, I, yeah, some press guy made it up and it stuck. And, uh, you know, right. I was just on, I was honest and forthright is the way I go. look at it. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. But it must have been, a, I mean, although it obviously didn't, I mean, if he's got 30 episodes, that, that must have been kind of three seasons. I believe it was like 10 in each, in each kind of season, wasn't there? Um, but that's, that must have been quite an experience for you though. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Let's just say that. I wouldn't say. Uh, I think my mates randomly have taken the proverbial out of me uh, since then. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, no, it was how many episodes were there? Does it say? I'm just trying to Google it now. It does actually say on here there are only ten number of series one, number Numbers, of episodes ten. 10. Episodes. No, yeah, you said that. Yeah, I mean, you said there were thirty. I was there, so. I was there for a week, and we were doing at least three a day, right. if not two weeks. So yeah, there was more. There was definitely more than ten. Yeah. And it, I think it was just, it was quite a complicated show and the tech kept, kept breaking, which did right, put okay. me off. Right, um, okay. But yeah, I'm just going to delete this webpage now because it's yeah, just bringing back <laughs> You, you really can, what, what you need to do is get get some Wikipedia access and just, yeah, just press, yeah, just delete the whole page. <laughs> just yeah, the I'm, having, I'm, having it wipe, I'm having it wiped <laughs> off, um, yeah, off all forms, of, all platforms and all Googles. Well, I'm just. I'm. I'm going to now um, ask you if you want to. Well, I'm. I'm going to. You're going to do it anyway, if you don't mind. You're going to take part in guess that snack. I'm just going to go. And, I'm just going to leave my little table for one second, Austin. I'm not leaving the podcast. Okay. Just bear with me one second. I am now back, and I've got in front of me the the uh, the quiz is called Guess That Snack. Um, yeah. We'll play the jingle in a minute. Um, actually, let's play the jingle now. It's time for Guess That Snack. Guess that snack. Guess that snack. Oh, yeah. Guess that snack. <laughs> there we go. Um, so Guess That Snack is underway with Austin Healy. Austin, basically, the rules are very simple. In front of me, I've got um, four well-known snacks, okay, um, potato-based primarily and corn-based snacks. You can just, just hear the bags rustling. And uh, what I need you to do, I'm going to tell you what the snacks are, okay, um, yeah. and then I'm going to eat them in a particular order and you won't know what they are. So I'm going to ask you um, what the snack is one, just by the crunch into the microphone, okay? Okay. So uh, I've got – so the snacks that I have, first up – um, are lightly salted Tesco's tortilla chips. So just a classic, nice and simple triangular tortilla chip, which apparently are perfect for sharing and dipping. Got some of those. So tortilla chips. I've also got um, Snacker Jacks. Are you familiar with the Snacker Jacks? Oh, yeah. 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 And these are, just to add a little bit of depth, they are zingy salt and vinegar flavor. So we'll just open up those so that we're ready to go. So tortilla. And next up, we have toffee popcorn. Made by Butterkist. Okay. Yeah. So just open those up. Fresh from their bags. I always keep the um I don't open the bags before because in case they, they take in too much sort of air and become slightly soft and, and that, yeah. that's inhibiting the quality of the crunch, yeah. That um, dilute, diluting the crunch level. Exa- exactly. So and the final snack that I've got, uh Square Crisps. Again, a classic throwback from the seventies as well. Square yeah. crisps and salt these and vinegar. Salt and vinegar flavour. Yeah, the yeah. only flavour really. Um yeah. So, okay, a reminder, we've got tortilla chips, we've got snacker jacks, we've got popcorn, toffee popcorn, and we've got square crisps, okay? I'm now going to put one of these snacks in my mouth, and you have to guess what it is. Are you ready? Are you composed? Um, yeah, yeah. You, you know what the score is. Sorry, so I've either got uh, tortillas, popcorn, square crisps, or snacker jacks. Yeah. Here we go. So snack number one. I'm going to take it out of the bag, maybe to help you get more of a clue, but it's out. I'm crunching it now. It's going in. That's a square crisp. It's not, I'm afraid. It's, it's not, not a square crisp. It's not a square crisp, no. Oh. No, yeah, I mean, you, you, you went with a gut instinct there. You didn't hesitate. I mean, that, I, mean I admire your immediacy. You just went that initial reaction but sadly that's not a square crisp okay it's popcorn it must have been the popcorn then i can't tell you what it is at the okay. moment but um yeah um next one up okay what is this it's going in now okay well that's really crunchy i'd say that that's got a, well i've already got the square one wrong 
Mm. And I know do, how crunchy they are. I'll do another one for you. Okay, you but obviously, you obviously like them then. That they're quite tasty, yeah. I'd, I'd be, I'd know better if if you licked the square crisp and you then couldn't speak for about three minutes because <laughs> they're so salty. Uh, that would be easier. <laughs> what I, you need? I'm going to go square crisp again then. You're right. It is a square crisp. Well done, Austin. Good stuff, mate. That a lovely little ripple of applause there from the from the live studio audience. Uh, next up, okay. And I really need something to cleanse my palate. Uh, but anyway, here we go. Next one is going in now. Oh, that sounds that sounds squishy. I think that's popcorn. Correct, Amondo. Great. So you're on a roll now, mate. You're on a roll now. Well, by the process of elimination, I should be okay with the last two. You, you, you kind of should be. Well, it's the final one, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. So, so it's 50-50 then. This is either a, a snacker jack or a tortilla chip. Um, and here we go. Listen carefully. A lot riding on this. Mm. Was that a snacker jack or a tortilla chip? I can do one more. We have the budget. Sounds very, very crunchy. Mm. I'm going to go tortilla chip. Correct, Amondo, mate. Yes, indeed. You got, that's it. So three out of four. The one you sadly did get wrong was snacker a jack. snacker jack. Yeah. But um, I don't, I've, I don't really. I've never. I don't think I've ever had a snacker jack, so I can't really correlate the. Uh, the norm. Fair enough. I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, although saying that, when I want to watch quiz shows and um, somebody doesn't, uh, and the precursor to the answer is, oh, I wasn't born, I wasn't born in the 1960s, so I, I can't answer that question. That always makes me laugh. You know, when um, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not interested in history, so I don't know the answer. Why have you come on the quiz show? Just don't understand. Anyway, thanks very much for um, 75%. That's pretty good. That puts you up in the top. I don't know, maybe uh, top 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 fourteen, I think, of our of our competitors on guess that snack. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Well, thank you very much for doing that. That was um, I've, I've kind of lost my kind of train of thought now. That was such an exciting exciting episode. So, talk, um, to, I, I've got some questions for you then. Once you get your thought back, I, yeah, thank talk you. Talk to me about Eurosport and the commentating oh, yeah. on that. That's good fun, isn't it? It looks like it. Um, it, it is actually, and I was going to ask one of my questions about you, about your kind of punditry, but I'd, I I love it. I really do. And um, I think one of the things for me, um, coming from cycling and then and I'm obviously doing other jobs as well, was put it this way, I never imagined that I'd be doing this. And I, and, and the opportunity came by, not by chance, but it was a gradual one. I just, I was at a race, a, a British domestic criterium. And I, a few years ago now, probably about 2009, uh, and I was—I just was asked to be my thoughts on this particular course, um, which went down quite well. And they asked me to do it for the following day, and I and I became like a pun, an unpaid pundit, just talking about this particular, the nature of each particular course. Um, and then after that, that series of races finished, that they asked me back to, they asked me if I would if I would do that for the next series of races as a job, as a paid gig for ITV. And then it just yeah. went from there. And I did more and more work like that and uh, more speaking gigs. And then I sent my CV. A friend of mine said, why don't you send your CV to Eurosport? So I did. Came in for a bit of a trial. And then ultimately, this was all while I was in as a police officer and still racing competitively, riding for Sigma, actually, ran the Sigma team. Um, and then ultimately, I left the police and did this as a full-time gig. So I do, yeah, bits and bobs. It's great. It, it's, I, I honestly, mate, I've, it's an, an a, absolute privilege to be able to talk, I mean, talk we, about we, what I love. We commentate for like 90 minutes and I know how difficult it is, particularly when the games are dire and there's not a lot going on. Yeah. But you guys are doing it for like four or five hours at a time, particularly on the, on the, you know, the big tours. It's yeah. Crazy. Just, yeah. It, it's, it's something you kind of have to learn. Yeah. You have to learn. I mean, difficult to kind of explain it but you can't just say what you see either i mean there are i mean i've just come back well, a few weeks ago i did the giro d'italia i was commentating on the world feed yeah. and there was there was a very exciting race actually there's a lot going on so there wasn't really any any problem at all but there's been a couple of times when it's a, a quiet stage where we've got a breakaway up the road three minutes flat and the breakaway just riding the bunch of behind and I've been on air for six hours, not really saying that much. And that that really that's actually when, although they, there's not a lot of exciting stuff, that's when you earn your money. That's when you you've got to be able to fill that air, and that's when you rely heavily on your kind of co-commentator as well. And you just kind of 
talk about anything. Um, and that's when your kind of research comes into play about the areas and, and, and bike racing compared to a stadium sport like rugby or football, you know, bike racing passes. The wonderful thing about bike racing is the geography and the kind of culture. So there's that extra layer that is very important. And that's where, again, sometimes you have to remind people who are watching and wonder why commentators, why are they talking about the wine of that region or why are they talking about what they have for dinner? And you can't obviously dwell on those and and the racing is a primacy, but most of the funding for bike racing is from tourist boards and towns and cities that host the starts and finishes. And, and it's a show, the bike race is basically is a way of showcasing a beautiful area of the world, you know, wherever it may be. Uh, and that's where most of the funding for bike racing comes, um, you know, ironically enough. And I think a lot of people are aware, but many aren't. So you end up talking about that particular area and, and often it's really, really interesting, you know. I'm looking forward to that Damascus um, route that's coming out soon as well. That should be nice. But it's, I, I just found it astonishing at how, how difficult it is. I, I loved uh, Carlton Kirby as well, some of the irreverence that he comes out with. <laughs> yeah. He sort of gets to the end of a sentence and he goes, I don't really know why I said that. Anyway, so-and-so's at the front. and Because I, 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 I've been in those positions. And you've actually, you could easily have taken on the punditry analyst role, which is miles easier. But yeah. you've gone down the much harder route of being the full-time comms guy, which, I, you know, it's, it's impressive. Well, I, I, fun, funnily enough, I do both. I started off as a as a as a colour um, yeah. with Eurosport, and then after a year, a year and a half, they said we'd kind of you know like the way that you you know like your voice, like the the shape, the kind of sonic kind of shape. So it goes up, you know, the, the intonation. And I think as a co com as as a lead commentator, you have to your kind of voice has to be almost like a bit of a song. It has to kind of rise and fall with the excitement, yeah. and it has to build to some sort of crescendo near the end. And quite often, yeah, we, we we have Nick Mullins in uh, in rugby, who's very very good at that, and he's gone right. on to do tennis and other sports. But uh, no, it's a, it's definitely a skill, and people sometimes they, they don't appreciate how much of a skill it is. Yeah, you know, you get I, I've met people, and they say, "What do you do?" I, well, I do a little bit of commentating. Oh, it's easy. You just turn up and say what you see. So, well, not quite really, because there's, first of all, you've got about six other people talking in your head, which for me is just a normal day. But yeah. For, for, for a lot without the commentating and uh you have to explain the timing the pitch of your voice how it rises it falls when you have to hit the replays what what replays you're asking for you know and when the ad breaks are coming and etc cetera, etc cetera. so it is a it is a discernible skill that's for sure oh yeah yeah I, I think you don't stop learning you know it's really interesting that you've kind of picked up this subject because it is um and I, I know it's something that you do but it's something you you kind of i'm always listening i, I watch as much as i can other sports though I have to kind of immerse myself in what's going on in cycling you know when I'm not commentating I'm always watching the racing and I'm learning from my colleagues and all all my colleagues within the sport anyway uh, are mates of mine but you learn from each other and and there's obviously voices from the past that you kind of look to when when you were growing up there's commentators in sport that you kind of look to and and kind of are inspired by but to actually do it and, and I think not only learning every day, but you, there's a big responsibility, isn't there? When you're looking at how many people watch, you know, the rugby that you commentate on, the cycling that I watch, or whether it's football or whatever, there's a massive responsibility to convey what you see. Although they can see it, it's not like on the radio, but they can see it. But it's a massive, especially when you're commentating on stadiums that are empty at the moment as well. That must be very, very difficult, you know, but um, it is, it's a big responsibility, isn't it? Yeah, it's harder because they're actually pumping in fake sound into your ears of crowd, and then you're looking around thinking, "Who's making that noise?" <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's I, I've actually quite enjoyed it because I get a lot less abuse now when I get to the stadium. So it's right. uh, it's uh, from that standpoint, it's been quite good fun. But uh, no, it's and it's all coming back. So you know, I, I generally think that by I'm hopeful that by April, May, we'll have full stadiums again. Yeah, so, uh, fingers uh, crossed. Know, fingers crossed, but yeah, we'll no, definitely. I mean, when you look, up, we hardly even touched on your on your rugby career. But when you look back on your rugby career now, I know you you kind of uh, your last season was, as far as I'm aware, 2005 2006, a lot, relatively long time ago now. Um, yeah. Sort of 15 kind of years. When you first for, compared to when you first retired, compared to now, do you look back on your career differently now than you did when you first retired? Do you look back on it with a lot of fondness or or have you kind of consigned it to the past or do you is there anything that you dr- can draw from it that you kind of use now in your life um what would i draw from it 
I think there's loads of things you can draw. Mm. Mainly, you know how you, how you make decisions, how you treat other people, how uh, how you want to win. Yeah, um, and whether that's in business. And I think that it, when I look back in the early days when I retired, I was still being defined as a rugby player, and that I didn't really. And, and even to this day, you probably are a little bit. But yes. and the fact yeah. that you've stayed in the sport. But the reality is, I've achieved way more since. Uh, since retiring than I actually did in my career, like yeah. miles more. You know, I've got a great family, four daughters, all been well educated. They're all, you know, they're, they're all well balanced. I've been married for twenty three years, and uh, you know, I've got several businesses that have been not all successful, but mainly successful. Yeah. So you know, you, you've got to channel it in different ways, and if you hang on for it to, to, for too long, it can. It can be an an anchor that drags you back and doesn't let you move on to the next stage. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I've, I've been retired longer now than I actually played the game. It's 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 crazy, isn't it? I mean, time moves really, really time moves even quicker as you get a little bit older. But uh, did you have a pl- any sort of plan in the last couple of years as a player? Because the speaking to people on this podcast who've retired or 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 midway or midway through their career and or young guys looking forward, they. They've got no plan at all, and that's obviously because they're focused on what they do. And interesting talking to, to Brad Wiggins in a, in a similar vein to yourself. It's like you know that that the past seems a long time ago, and he didn't really have a plan. He's just fallen into what he's kind of doing now. But when you say you've got you've got several businesses, you're obviously keeping yourself very very busy. Did you have some sort of idea what you might do, or did you fear retiring and losing the ability to be as competitive? as you were or did you have like or were you quite confident that you would seamlessly kind of that transition from professional sports person through to normal life for want of a better word were you kind of happy that would be be okay oh, I, I don't think you're ever going to be confident that that's going to be seamless mm. i think decent good sports people are, are pr- pretty much defined by their um, their lack of confidence in, yeah. in many cases that drives them on the fear the insecurity yeah, almost the self-loathing and hatred is is what drives you on in sports. Sometimes that drives you on sometimes on the bike as well nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's not you know not overly competitive, but I, I always knew that I would whatever I decided to do, I would give it full beans. I'd never do anything ten percent, twenty, fifty, seventy. Never do yeah. anything at ninety. Really, if you're going to yeah. do it, you do it. Otherwise, you know, go home. Yeah. So that's I think that that mindset was probably the best thing. Yeah. And the fact that I missed out on the World Cup in 2003 probably drove me on to be, you know, as successful, orientated by, probably by money in the first instance, more than anything else. Right. Because um, you went to Australia, you, you, were, you were a reserve just in case anybody got injured. What, you were a non-playing reserve, basically, weren't you? I flew out and back yeah. in 24 hours. Jeez. So I, I took off on Sunday night and landed. So landed, what, when did I land then? Wednesday morning. And then flew back Thursday, uh, Wednesday evening, no, Thursday morning from Australia and landed back Friday morning in the UK. Jesus. So I was only, I was only in, in, uh, in Australia for 24 hours, a li- little bit under actually. Yeah. I mean, anybody's, two hours was there. I think it's worth just setting that in a little bit of context. Anybody who's listening and knows anything about Austin or doesn't, I mean, Austin, wonderfully successful rugby player, 51 England caps, played for England on 51 occasions. And England, of course, won the World Cup in 2003. Um, I remember kind of watching it, but um, that's, I mean, that must have been, you must have been happy in, in many ways, but also bitterly disappointed. Let's be perfectly honest with you. The kind of, you're, you're just your competitive spirit. You can sense it even just talking to you now. And this is the first time we've ever spoken. You can sense that kind of, there's there's a passion there, but that must have been really tough to to watch them win. Although you were happy for them, that must have been difficult for you. Yeah, I think it, it was because I'd played sort of like 40 consecutive games, started 40 consecutive games before that tournament. Right. Um, I, I snapped my knee uh, in April uh, 13th, sister's birthday. Uh, and before that, I just tore my Achilles. So it was my second game back. And I'd, I'd been out since probably the whole of that year. I then went to live with a crazy guy called Bill Knowles in America. Okay. Fit. Right. So Bill Knowles is that if you ever tear your ACL or you get a knee injury, go and see this guy. He's he's the best guy in the world for rehabbing your knee. Right. Okay. And uh, I went to see him, and he threw my crutches into the stream, and we saw bears outside the cabin. And I mean, it was just crazy times. But in wow. that period, achieved you know something probably far greater than the World Cup. You know, I could have gone to the World Cup and sat on the bench for. Yeah, the whole tournament, and still got a medal, and told people I was a World Cup winners' medal. That, that to me is not success. That's that's Klingon. 
Yeah. So I managed to get fit enough to play. And I played, uh, my comeback game was against France in Marseille. I hadn't run until the week of the tournament at all uh, because I couldn't. And then I ran in the week of the tournament. Neil Back kicked me in the side of the knee in the training session two days before it, which I think he was asked to do by Clive to test me. Right. Uh, I didn't take it very well from Neil Back. Um, and I, I may have retaliated, shall we say. Right. Uh, Clive didn't like that. Okay. And then I played in the uh, French game. I was probably 70% of where I should have been, but I still right. thought I was still good enough to go. And then he, he, he didn't pick me. Uh, the wor- the worst know. thing about it was I got fined from the Lions two years before in Australia for a newspaper column, which I didn't actually write. And uh, they fined me outside the terms of the contract. So I said, fine, you do what you want, but I'm not paying you. And he phoned me before he picked the, the wider World Cup squad saying, you need to pay this fine or, or I can't pick you. The Lions committee have had a go at me. I said, okay, I'll pay the fine. So I paid the fine and then he still didn't pick me. So after he, when I saw him, when he got back, I said, by God. the way, you owe, you owe me five grand. So, uh, because you, you, you had a, you had a daily column while the tour was going on, didn't you? And, a, and a, was yeah. there, a, was there a criticism, uh, or, in inverted commas, in relation to a fancy dress party, something like that, that went that didn't go down particularly well. No, I don't think it was fancy dress. No. I, 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 can't, I was having, I was actually having an injection in my back when my column was written by a guy oh, called Eddie Butler. <laughs> so you, you so had, he, a, you had a ghostwriter, right? Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't write it. Yeah, so he he phoned me on the morning and said, "We've got to write your column." I said, "Mate, I, I'm literally, I'm just going under an X-ray guided uh, jab into my back to try and play on Saturday." Wow. I said, "Just write, just write whatever you want." So he did. And uh, <laughs> that's where it came from, which I find quite funny. But other people are like, "Oh, you destroyed the lion!" Oh, shut up, get a grip. It's a newspaper column. Bloody hell! So, yeah, Very some much. fun times. I mean, yeah. you look back, like like you said on, on your career. I I look back now and see all the funny stuff. Yeah. When I when I first retired, I, I looked back with a little bit of I don't know negativity on it all. Yeah. And you know, I was probably a little, tiny bit bitter because my body was completely screwed when I finished. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, would you change it? Not for an instant. I'm do, sure, do if, I, you know, you said, would you change the fact that, you know, you, you're a pro cyclist for what you could have done something else? I don't think anybody would in a million years. Do you know what? I, I just, as you were speaking then, I actually just wrote, I always have a little moleskin and make little notes and stuff as, as we're chatting, which I'm kind of, I kind of like doing. But my, my next question was going to be to kind of wrap things up really because we we've, we've been talking for over an hour now it's been it's been a lot of fun it was going to be would you change anything and you've kind of summed that up really well because I, I guess because of any kind of career whatever you do has its ups and downs and um in kind of different ways but ultimately if you're happy now I, I guess all of that has led to the, the place that you're in now like you said you've got four kids you're, you're a happy marriage you've, you've kind of you've, you're doing a lot you're active so I guess despite all the kind of the kind of physical injuries the kind of personal disappointments within that time you couldn't have you wouldn't be where you are now really without that journey would you no i mean i i wouldn't change anything i've got yeah. now in terms of some of the friendships we've got the, the family that we've got and um the, the, the life that we live um the ability that i get out to ride my bike i certainly wouldn't change that like you said yeah. it is a it is a freedom but what, what i do like to do every now and then is if i am watching something back an old game i just fantasize Right. So I, I go into a different world and think, oh, if I'd have known this, you know, if I if I could see into the future, w- would I have done this differently? Would I have, you know, turned a corner, run a different line, or, you know, like maybe if you look, look back over your old old bike races, if you think there's a there's a sliding door moment that you can see retrospectively. Oh, definitely. And, uh, I sort of occasionally just fantasize, and to the extent that I come out of it thinking that I was actually on the pitch scoring the try instead of Jason Robinson in the World Cup. That, that sort of level and, and but i don't do it in like a negative way that drags me down i, yeah. I have a little wry smile on my face afterwards yeah i and, I, uh, and that, that's very very interesting because there are there are a few moments in in my career and i don't need to what don't need to go on about them but i um significant you know events in my career where i think and i look back see the footage read i often read old magazine articles as well because there isn't quite as much footage from when i was racing as there is now because it was obviously captured differently yeah. um but I do look back and think, God, if I'd only just done that. And and people ask me, you know, what if you'd been had access to the kind of training and the kind of advice and the coaching that they've got these days? And it's like, well, it was the same for everybody back then. Although, although I try and answer them as best I can, but ultimately it was what it was. Um, and 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 I do 
imagine little bits of a reshuffle and if I'd have just done that or backed off a little bit and waited to attack, I would have won that race rather than come third or whatever. But it is what it is. But I do still sometimes do that. But it's not with regret. It's just it just intrigues me and it's kind of it's part of who I am, I guess, that those events are still there and and, I, and sometimes they just come back into your consciousness and ask you little questions. It's just just the way it is, I guess. You know, I try to say that to the kids actually, that if you can if you can dream about what you want in the world and try and bring that as close to reality, you're gonna do okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I've been very, very fortunate that most of my dreams have, have pretty much come close to reality. There's a few occasions that haven't, but I didn't particularly enjoy all the operations. They they weren't sure. in those fantasies. I don't think they should be in anyone's. No, definitely not. Well, uh, do you know what? That's, a re- I think, a really lovely way to kind of wrap things up. Not necessarily your operations, but you kind of view it. <laughs> your, view, your view on your career. Wrap things up. That's a great up, way to pitch them, them all up. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But Austin, it's been an absolute pleasure, um, especially considering the fact that we haven't spoken before. Um, it, it does feel like we should be sat in a pub and could wax, wax on for the next couple of hours. It's been really, really enjoyable. Uh, really insightful and um and we shall definitely um once things are back to some semblance of normality we'll head up to oakham rutland and we'll we'll meet up at sigma and go for a bite right how's that sound yeah that'd be great i'm just about to actually tonight go on a little uh night gravel ride around rutland water i Ooh. recommend it oh you got your new gravel bike haven't you yeah i've got a gravel but I've, I've been waiting for ages to do a few of the lads have started doing night rides now so they go out at like half five and they'll do the loop of the rutland water Ooh, pitch right. black and it's uh, quite airy and scary and good fun and fast. So, yeah, I'm going to go and do that tonight. Good stuff. Just make sure you stay upright, mate, yeah? I'll, I'll, I'll try. I've, I've been stuff. okay. Oh, You've just tempted fate there, haven't you? Oh, no. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. We'll have to We'll chop this bit off the end of the podcast. Uh, no, I'll just edit that bit out. Anyway. Yeah, the problem is, if, if this goes out before I go out, there'll, there'll be zip wires all over the place that I'll be oh, tripping God. over. We'll, we'll, hold it, we'll hold it back a little bit for you, just so you can get a safe <laughs> ride out. We'll keep it under wraps. But, uh, Austin, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks very much again. Uh, you take care, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Yeah, thanks a lot. All the best. Great stuff. It's a real measure of someone's character when you can chat so easily right from the first time you meet them. Although the elbow pad situation um, was a bit of a difficult one. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to Austin showing me around the local roads of the new Sigma Sports store in Oakham sometime soon. Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune as ever. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to your cycling buddies? Or... You could even leave the podcast open on a tab on your iPad in the hope that your partner finds it and starts listening, if you have one. That uh, A partner or, or an iPad, although actually you would need both. Uh, and finally, thanks to Austin Healy for being my guest on the podcast today. Cheers all, goodbye, and stay safe. <laughs>